I haven't done this for four weeks. I'm so excited to be back in um, up here in front. Excited to be able to share today as we start a new series. I want to say welcome to all those tuning online. Thanks for tuning in with us. We know you're going to enjoy the service. And uh, before we jump into the service, into this message, um, I would like to take a moment just to pray uh, for our country. Uh, I don't know if you saw the news yesterday of some of the shootings that took place um, in El Paso and then also in um, Ohio. Is that correct? Did I see the right place? Ohio that took last night, um, I think Dayton, if I remember correctly, and um, I want to just take a moment to pray for our nation, all right? Would you join me in praying for for, uh, for those things? God, uh, we are so grateful that we have a nation that is free, God, that we can worship, that we can um, make choices, and Father God, forgive us when we make those, when people make choices in our nations, Father God, that cause harm and destruction. God, we pray for those that uh, have lost loved ones, have lost family members, uh, moms, dads, brothers, sisters. Um, uncles, aunts, God, that we just pray for peace, Lord God, in those families. And God, we ask that you would help us as a nation, Father God, to come to know that you are the Savior of all. And God, it's not policies, it's not procedures, it's not all those things that change, Lord God, but it's the hearts of people that need to change. So God, start with us. Help our hearts to be correct and pure and right. Lord God, loving our neighbors and to love those that look different than us and that are uh, believe different than us. Help us to love them. And God, help our love to be able to spread to others. And just help our nation, Father God, as we we need you so desperately, God, and uh, we just uh, invite you into this time to just minister and uh, ask you for your protection, for your love, for your guidance, for your peace and your grace, Lord God, today over our nation, over those that have lost um, loved ones, God, over those cities, Father God, and the governments and the leaders, help them to uh, bring about grace and peace in the middle of these situations, and we just invite you to lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to jump into a series for the month of August. Um, what to do, right? What to do when you don't know what to do, when you have different choices. Um, you know, yesterday um, and early this morning, the shootings just give us an, a picture of uh, the kind of world that we live in, right? Uh, where somebody thinks it's okay for them to, for whatever reason, uh, go and, and take the lives of other people uh, because of their hurt, their anger, their frustration, whatever it is. Um, and we live in a, in a world where um, where that takes place. And um, as I look as I look around and I hear the stories, not even of our, of our nation, but even other nations, and other things that take place, um, you can see that our world is broken. Uh, it's fragmented. It's, um, there's been a crack in it, right? Um, and it didn't start recently. We, we, we will talk about policies and procedures until we're blue in the face, but really it started a long time ago, and it started uh, first with the battle between good and evil, which we'll talk about today in the message, uh, but really with humans, there was a choice that God gave us, and um, too bad many people, inclu- ourselves included, have chose our own way instead of God's way. Um, and that brings sin. And God says whenever there's sin, there's always death, always follows that. Death of relationships, death of, the, of, of, uh, of a lot of different things, even including life. Um, and so the, so the consequences of choices, that's what happens. And there's a crack in our world, and uh, it's, it's broken, broken and fallen apart in many ways. Um, and we think it's the policy procedure that's going to change things, but it's not. It's, it's people's hearts. Um, and so for this month, uh, really, we're going to go through the, through the book of Ephesians. Um, and we're going to talk about um, just just some helpful tools to uh, for us when we're in these situations and we don't know what to do. Because honestly, when I hear these stories, I, there's this part of me that says, I don't know what I can do. Is there anything I can do to bring about change in our world? Is there anything I can do to help that situation? Um, and sometimes because it's happening so often, you kind of feel like there's nothing I can do. Uh, but the truth, there is something. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that this month. And what do you do when you don't know what to do? And especially when it comes to the things that are unseen. Uh, we tend to try to fix things that are physical with physical solutions. Um, and today we're going to learn that there's more going on than we, than we ever think, uh, that, we, that we don't even sometimes understand or see or know. In fact, 
let me just say this as a statement for this series, all right? Um, it's going to be about spiritual warfare. It's going to be about um, us trusting God um, in, in all areas of our life. And so when, when life is hard, and um, I know there's times where it can be hard, right? Life can be hard. Relationships can be hard. Work can be hard. Um, just different things, challenges that come with life all of a sudden. And those things can be overwhelming. Well, what do you do when you're overwhelmed? What do you do when you don't know what to do? We're going to talk about that. So here's, here's a statement I'll make to you just so you know. All right? We are not human beings that are having spiritual experiences. Right? This is where we have to change our mindset. Um, we are actually spiritual beings just having a human experience. Uh, this is the narrative of the Bible. This is the story. This is the story of creation. This is, this is the larger story that God is telling in the Bible, that we are created beings, right? And not just physical, but there's a part of us that is also spiritual. And we can say like this, spiritual is the unseen, the physical is the seen. Um, and the Bible talks about that we don't, just, um, we don't just see what's going on with our physical eyes. There's other things that are going on that we can't see. Um, and as we gear up for, uh, so, so our, our schedule for as a church is in January and in August. We take time to encourage our church to, to do a couple of things. In January, it's praying fast as the year starts off. What would it look like if we just sought God and said, God, would you help us this year as a church, help us as individuals, as families? And we encourage people to uh, disconnect from different things that, that pull our attention, that pull our desires, and, uh, and then connect with God and, and, and turn our attention there. So in January, we encourage praying and fasting. In August, we encourage praying. And so I'll talk about 21 days of prayer in a while, but uh, we have this, this, this rhythm. And so what we do typically in August is we do a series that's going to help our church. So if you're here today and you're first time, uh, maybe you're on church, maybe you haven't been in church for a long time, the month of August is really a series that's geared to help those that are in our church, so those that are Christ followers, those that have chosen to follow Christ. Almost every series we do, we try to come from the perspective of we're going to have guests here that don't know maybe much about the Bible or don't know much about God. And so we encourage and we, we share truths and principles that help, will help those that don't believe the same or know what we know uh, to, to live a better life. And so we will have some of those in this series. But this series is primarily geared to help us as a church to say, what would it look like if we got prepared for whatever's coming in the fall, right? So in September, October, November, we typically as a church see a lot of growth. In fact, um, sometimes it's almost not quite double, but it, it gets, it, we, we see a lot of growth that takes place, a lot of guests coming, a lot of people coming to Christ. So our role as a church is prepare for that. And so one of the best ways to prepare is when you don't know what to do, what's, what's coming, you begin to do what God asks you to do, and you seek him, you look for him. And so just understand that we are spiritual beings having a spiritual experience. In fact, when it comes to, uh, when we come prayer and fasting, what we're saying is, God, we don't know what's coming, but we know you do. So prepare us, help us to get ready for this. Um, and here's the truth about the unseen, all right? If, if when it comes to the, the world we live in, if all you see is what you see, then you do not see all there is to see. Does that make sense? If all that you see in this world is only the things that you can see, and, and you, you don't have this understanding, there's more going on, like... Uh, there's this curtain that's that's closed um, that that the Bible gives us insight into that if you'd peel it back, you would see there's a lot of spiritual activity that's going on all around us. Um, in fact, the, the, the Bible calls it spiritual warfare, right? There's good and there's evil, and there's a battle that's going on. And really the battle is for you and me. It's for our souls, for your soul, for my soul. It's a life and death battle. And so there's a battle that's going on. Um, and what we have to understand is People tend to only try to treat physical things with physical uh, solutions. And a lot of times, the, actually, the answer is not, to, it, does, it has a little bit to do with physical, but it always, a lot of times it has to do with the spiritual. In fact, everything in our world that we face, uh, there's always an unseen element to it before there's a physical. Everything is created. 
You think of a house, you think of a building, there's this part where it's first created in the mind, it's first created behind the scenes where you, don't, you can't see it, and then eventually it becomes a, a, a physical. The choices we make, they first start in the unseen, in our, in our conscience, in our mind, the thoughts, in our heart, our desires, right? And then eventually they make themselves into the reality of the physical. And so if we're going to navigate this realm, we really have to understand that we also we have to learn to navigate the spiritual realm. Um, if we're going to fix this realm, and we want to talk about the shootings, right? If we're going to fix those things, we have to learn to navigate and fix the things in the spiritual. Uh, when G- this is the things Jesus modeled for us. When he would come and he had these, these encounters with people that were um, under the control of demons. They were possessed by demons. They were sick or they were whatever. There were different things going on. Well, he had to um, navigate in the spiritual realm first before he could make the difference in, in the physical. And, he, and throughout scriptures, God is trying to actually teach us how to do this. Um, and, and our failure a lot of time is to try to, we, we, we fail to address the spiritual, um, cause of it, what's going on. Um, and that means we focus only on the externals, right? And so, um, let me, let me, um, well, so a few years back, um, we, we had our son, which is, today is Joaquin's birthday. We have a teenager. He's a teenager. And so it's pretty cool. We have a, yeah, I can't believe I'm saying that. It's like, where did time go? So our son, uh, was two years old. And my wife was pregnant with his sister, right, our second child. And I was having this conversation with a pastor. And this pastor knew I had a son, and he knew my wife was pregnant. And this is what he tells me. He says, man, I, don't, I can't believe that people would have kids in our day and age. Like, it is the worst thing to have kids in our day and age because things suck and everything is, like, going to hell, right? Like, he's like, and this pastor's talking about how life is horrible, and people are just, they, they suck the life out of you. And it's just like, culture is just going down, you know, so fast and... And, and as he's talking to me, I'm like, you know I have a son and my wife's pregnant, right? And, like, this is not very encouraging to me. Here's a, it's a, he's a pastor, right? And he's like, I don't understand why you'd have it. Um, and, and I didn't understand why he was telling me that. I'm like, okay, life's hard. You must be going through something difficult. And I just, I just took it as well. He's, he's a little cynical and maybe a little, something happened that week that made him hurt or he saw something in the news or whatever. And he just had this, 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 this sense of, man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have kids if I was you. Um, and I didn't understand at the time, but then, a couple years later, um, if you remember when, when America, the U.S. went into um, Iraq and, and they, they um, took down Saddam Hussein and his regime. Uh, remember, that, remember that moment, right? And so they take down this dictator who's been in control of that nation for years. Uh, well, after a little while, after a few months, one of the things that they didn't expect to happen happened. There was a, a, a boom in childbirths in Iraq. Like all of a sudden, like all these people started having babies. Um, and, and, and they began to think, like, why in the world would people all of a sudden want to have babies in this, in this season? And then I, I heard somebody say, well, because they finally, as a nation, had hope. See, up to this point, they were dominated by a dictator who they had no future, right? The only future they had was whatever he said, and whatever he wanted to do to them, he did to them. And so there was no hope there. And so the moment he was taken out of the picture, and they were liberated, and they were freed, it was all of a sudden they had this aha moment where they said, oh, wow, we have a future. Like, we get to create what we want to create. We know the story didn't all go the way they probably planned, and it's probably still not, but there's still hope. And the, the, the very fact that they had a sense of, of future and, and something they could control, they were willing to say, hey, let's move with it. So when I look back to that pastor, he told me, what I'm hearing him say now is, I, have, I don't have hope for, this, for the world to get better. I don't have hope for, and in a sense, it's, it's not. The Bible says it's not going to get better. There's going to be things that are going to be challenging. In many ways, it's going to get worse. Uh, but it doesn't mean we give up. It doesn't mean we don't have hope in the middle of that. 
And what he didn't have was the spirit of Paul and the spirit of Jesus that says, man, there, we can do all things. We can do whatever comes our way. What, whatever we face, yeah, I choose to do this, these things. And he didn't. In fact, in Ephesians 2.12, uh, in the book of Ephesians, this month, I'm gonna, we're going to go through a lot of Ephesians, especially the end of it. Um, Ephesians 2.12 says, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. So he's talking to a church in Ephesus. And, and, um, and it, Paul, he went to, during his second, so he did three missionary travels. And then he got arrested, and they took him to Rome to be sentenced uh, to death uh, for, for, for preaching the gospel, right, for being a Christian. And um, the first journey he went on, and he started churches, and, and he began to teach about ministry about, about Jesus and what he did on the cross. And the second journey, he stopped at the, in the city of Ephesus, and he just did some ministry there for a while and left. Well, two years later, he came back to that city, um, and he, st- he spent two years there where he, he built a very strong church. Um, and planted churches, and, and, and churches all in that area were beginning to, to thrive. Well, then after that time, he went on his, after the third missionary journey, they eventually took him to Rome, and uh, he was in prison for a couple of years. And while he was in prison for those two years, he began to write some books. Um, and one of the books he wrote was to the, to the church in Ephesus. And in, this, and in this book, he's writing to the people that he, that he loves, that he cares for, um, and he's reminding them, right? So in the, that God has done something in your life, and he's saying in those days, He's referring to when they were far from Christ and, and they were living apart from Christ. He says, um, you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. So he's saying you didn't, you didn't understand what was going on. In fact, he says it like this. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Without God and without hope. And he reminds them, when, when you look back to that moment when, when, when it wasn't going well, you had no God, you had no hope along, along with it. First uh, Thessalonians, Paul's writing to a, another set of believers, and he says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So he's saying there's, there's this, um, and if you've ever been at a funeral, you, you'll know when somebody doesn't have hope and the way they grieve and the way they mourn. It's, it's slightly different than somebody who's died that we know has is, is, um, a relationship with Christ. There's, there's a hope, right? There's, there's, we know he's he or she is in a better place, actually. And there's this peace that comes with that. There's a, there's a hope in the middle of that. And he's saying, don't, don't, don't be uninformed. Like, there's more to this story than just this story. Like, they're not present physically anymore, but it doesn't mean they're gone. It means there's something else beyond this. And he's saying, live with, with hope. Um, and Paul, so, so Paul understood this dynamic that um, as human beings, we don't just live in the physical, we also live in the spiritual. And whatever's taking place in the physical sometimes gives a hint to the spiritual, um, and, and, and he wants to help us on this journey. In fact, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4. And so since this is the introduction to a series, I'm going to give a lot of scriptures to kind of build a, a foundation here to say, hey, this is where we're going for this series, all right? Um, really, it's, it's uh, ser- to, to help us understand there's more going on than we even understand. He says this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Um, in the Bible, it uses a lot of different examples of, of comparing the church, comparing the body of Christ, uh, those who follow Christ, uh, to different things. One, one of the, the, the languages the Bible uses is, is, is a family. Um, it's like a team, right, that's doing things together. Other languages, it uses um, warfare terminology that talks about being like uh, in a battle. And, and he borrows a lot of ideas from the, the culture he was in, right? You would see these Roman uh, centurions and these guards walking around with all the gear, and he would point to it saying, that's kind of how we are. They're in a battle for the physical. We're in a battle, but it's spiritual, and he says, the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
Um, the weapons that God gives us actually de- demolish strongholds. Not physical strongholds, but a spiritual stronghold in our life. And so he said, so we're in this world, but we don't wage war as a world. Ephesians 6. Um, and most of the series is going to be in this chapter, just so you know. Um, Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So it starts with God. Um, and as you read through Ephesians, you'll see that, God, that Paul is always pointing to God's power, God's strength, um, the, the results that come when we trust God. So be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. He says, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Um, the devil's schemes. Take note of that, that word, right? So devil, the devil's schemes. So he's saying, we're in this battle and we have an enemy. And in this, this enemy, he actually is scheming up plans to destroy you. So Jesus has uh, this, in John 10, he says that the enemy has come to destroy, to kill, to steal, and destroy, but I've come to give life. So the enemy's purpose is to bring destruction. My purpose is to give life. He brings death, I bring life. We have an enemy, right? Um, and, and one of the reasons I want to do this series is going into the, into the August and even the fall is because they did a survey and they found that 51% of people who believe in Christ, right, who are, would call themselves Christ followers, don't even believe in an actual devil. Like they think it's just like a, an idea, right, the Bible talks about. They don't even believe there's an actual devil, which I think if you're the enemy, that's exactly what you'd want people to believe. There's not even a real devil because uh, He's not real, then what does it matter, right? You don't you ignore, you don't you don't pay attention to what's going on. But Paul tells us, and Jesus tells us, uh, we have an enemy for our soul, and he wants to destroy everything in your life. In fact, Paul says, um, if you will trust God for the equipment, you'll be able to take your stand against his schemes. So this idea of schemes is as he's like they're like at a drawing board, right? The devil and his his demons, his angels, and and they're they're trying to figure out the best strategy how to bring you down. It's like 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 a, a good fisherman. Uh, he would put the right bait on the right hook for, to catch the fish, right? He knows what that's going to take. So um, he's trying to figure out what is that bait that you're going to take to lead you away from God's kingdom, from his purposes. What is it going to take to get you? And see, so a lot of times we, and I understand why people, why they say 51% of people don't believe in the devil, because sometimes the image we get of the devil is uh, this, this person with, with horns and, and a pitchfork and a red cape, Right? And so we're people that never seen a person like that assume, well, I don't ever see him like that, so he must not be real. But the Bible doesn't paint a picture of him with a, a pitchfork with horns and being red. Um, the Bible actually says a lot of times he's like the angel of light. Like he actually deceives. One of his, the names for him is he's a deceiver. He comes in ways that you wouldn't even suspect him coming in. Why? He's a schemer, right? He has these, his strategy is to take you out. So what he does is he comes as everything that we think we want. He comes in the, in, the, in the form of what you think you want, and he begins to use that to try to, to tempt you, to get you to, to do it. So essentially, he's, he's watching film on us, trying to figure out where's our weak spots, what can I do to bring them down? It's a, it's a deceptive strategy, which means you don't even know it's taking place. It's, 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 under, it's in, in, hidden and underneath what you're, what you're paying attention to. Um, and here's the thing is the enemy that's doing this, they don't want us to figure it out. They don't want you to figure out what's going on. They want us to only pay attention to the natural, to the five senses, to the physical. And this is why a lot of times people, even Christians, will fight other people that don't believe, people that are unbelievers, uh, because they, they um, assume uh, that, they're, that we're dealing with only the physical. In fact, Paul goes on and says it like this in the next the verse, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So he says our, our struggle and our battle is not against people. So people are not your enemy. The, the, the person, even, even the, 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 your enemy in this world that's a person, he's still not your real enemy. That's just a person that's being used by the enemy um, as a tool, as a distraction, to, uh, as, as some, a vehicle to be able to bring destruction to our world. But even that person is not your enemy. 
He says, well, our struggle, our battle is not against people, but it's against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the evil in heavenly realms. So heavenly realms will refer to the spiritual uh, kingdom that we don't see. Um, but they, they interact here. They, they have a, a, a presence here also. They say, so it's against these different stages of authority, right? Like, like a commander, his, 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 the flow chart, the org chart of the organization, how, how they command the command chain, how it goes down. He said, it's going on. That's, that's our real battle. It's not against people, but it's against the principalities, against the authorities, the rulers that who actually uh, govern, the spirits that govern and, and try to influence our world. Um, in fact, our enemy, the Bible says, there's, there's three parts to our enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, so it's not just one enemy, the devil, but there's, there are three parts that actually become the enemy. And part of us is actually the enemy also, the flesh, which is the desires that lead us away from the best that God has for us. And then the world would, would refer to those organizations, those uh, governments that um, are dominated by um, the darkness, that are dominated by thoughts that are not of God. Right? So they become the enemies of the kingdom of God because they're actually working against the kingdom of God and partnering with, uh, with, the, with the enemy. And they don't even know it. They don't know that's what's happening. Uh, they think they're doing good. And in some cases, they're trying to do good, but they don't understand they're being deceived. Uh, First Peter, watch how it talks about the enemy. Right? First Peter 5, 8 through 9. So people that don't think he's real, it says, be self-controlled and alert. So, so pay attention to what's going on in your world. Be alert. Your enemy, he, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. You guys ever watch the, the Nature Channel, right? These, these are some great shows now. Uh, when that lion is coming in for the kill, right, he doesn't come in roaring and telling everybody's there. Rather, what happens? He's in the grass that he blends in with. The grass, the brown grass kind of looks like him, right? So it's, he's, he's, he's camouflaged. He's in that grass. And what is he doing? He's prowling, right? He's, he's, he's really low on, on the ground, moving very slowly, keeping an eye on where where, where uh, the animals are. And, and he's not downwind. He's, 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 a, he's in a position they won't be able to smell him. They won't be able to sense him. And he's, he's looking, that lion is looking for his prey. And he's very stealthy and he's, he's strategic in his, his approach, right? To get the best advantage to be able to overcome and take that. And Peter compares our enemy the same way. He's not going to just show up in the middle of nowhere and say, here I am, voila. It's, he's hiding, waiting for that, that opportune time to strike. Um, and he says, he's looking for somebody to devour, so resist him and stand firm in the faith. I love that his language and, Peter, and Paul's language, Peter and Paul's languages, are very similar of what they're talking about, how, how we overcome, what we're supposed to do in those moments when we even don't know what to do. Uh, Revelations 12, 7 through 9, here's a little uh, insight into the, into the story of, of, of the devil, of Satan. Right? So the Bible has, it names three angels. Uh, there's, there's three names of angels in the Bible. So there's a lot of angels. But there's only three names, three that are named in the Bible, three archangels, right? Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And Lucifer would have been the, the music leader or the worship leader in heaven, right? And he gets, the Bible says he gets pride in his heart. Um, and he, he says, like, I want what God has. I should be there, you know? And, and his, his, um, his, his selfishness and his pride caused him to try to take over the kingdom of God. And so it says there was, and this is Revelations talks about what took place in heaven, that battle that took place. It says a war, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. That would be another reference to the devil, to Lucifer. And the dragon and his angels, that would be the angels that joined. And there's another, um, in Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel 28, if you want to read more about it, it talks about 
this same story. And it says actually there was about a third of the angels in heaven actually joined Lucifer in this rebellion. And so it says they began to fight against the angels. And the demons, Lucifer and his angels, or his demons, they fought back. But he was not strong enough. Key, key phrase there, right? The enemy fought to take over the kingdom, but he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. And it says this, the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. He leads the whole world astray. Another translation says, the one that's deceiving the whole world. He was hurled down, thrown down to the earth with his and his angels with him. So these angels, they become the demons, and Lucifer uh, becomes uh, Satan. He becomes, um, uh, which eventually becomes what the Bible calls the god of this, this world, of, of the earth, right? And the only way he gets that is because he deceives Adam and Eve. He takes what was rightfully ours as humans to be his. Um, so, so God has to come back and, and fight another battle, which this time it's more spiritual than we think physical, and he, and he wins the battle to get it back, right? And to be able to give us the authority, um, so we have the chance to get back what was rightfully ours. And so uh, in, in this battle, um, it says that he's deceiving. He's, he's deceiving. Second um, Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, 3 through 4 says it like this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil. So if, if we tell somebody about the, the good news that Jesus died on the cross for them, but, but they don't get it. They don't, they don't want to listen. They don't want to understand. It actually says if, if, there's, if, it's like, if, it's, um, if they're blinded to it, if there's a veil that's, that's covering them from seeing it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Um, Satan, who is the god of this world, right? God, little g, so you know he's not in control. He's, he's um, he, well, I'll say that in a second. So, so he's the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. In fact, one of the things that we pray for every Sunday uh, is God, that draw, God would draw people to him. And part of that strategy is, God, would you help people not to be blind to the things of you, that their minds would not be blind. So when you walk in this building, we're, we're saying, God, we, we need your help in, this, in the spiritual realm to begin to take away that veil so people could have that moment, that, that aha moment of saying, wow, that grace is available to me, like God did that for me, and we don't have to be stuck in, in, in the battles and the challenges of life that have kept us um, away from God's purposes for, for so long. And it says this, that uh, because he's blinded the minds of those they don't believe, they're unable to see the glorious light of God, the glorious light of the good light of the good news they don't understand this message about the glory of christ who is the exact likeness of god so he wants to blind people to the fact that jesus is god right he is god he came to fight battle and to do it and here's the thing here's the thing to understand about the enemy that doesn't he doesn't want you to know and demons don't want you to know the kingdom of darkness that they only have the power that we give them they have no more power than that so in your life they only have the power that you actually allow them to have um, and, and they don't want us to know that because we, sometimes people think like they're so strong and so powerful, but they're not. If you're a Christ follower, in fact, the weakest Christian, if, that, if there's ever such a thing, because the weakest Christian still has the same spirit that I have, right, or that the, the strongest Christian has. Um, we all have, we have the power of God living in us when we, when we say, God, would you come into my life? Would you lead my life? I want to submit to your lordship. This is that we receive that spirit that actually adopts us into his family, that we become part of his family. And so um, that, that person still has more power. The newest Christian has more power than the strongest demon because they have the power of God living in them. So really, kingdom of darkness only has the power that we give them. And the reason the enemy wants to blind people's minds is because he wants to be able to say, hey, give me more power, do this, do that. And, and this is where um, people begin to choose um, 
the, the, the things that he offers to them rather than the things that God has because there's, there's this promise of you'll have more. Adam and Eve, if you do this, right? It's a temptation. It's a, it's a, a bait and switch. It's a, it's a hidden strategy that says, hey, I'll give you these things if you'll do this. And people begin to choose that, but what they don't know is they're actually giving him the authority and the power in, in their lives to mess with them and to use them and to cause damage through them, um, not even realizing it. And, but, but they only have the power that we give him. I, I would say this is the secret that the enemy doesn't want you to know, is that he only has the power that you give him. Um, so as, as, we, as we talk about um, this month, um, when it comes to spiritual warfare, when it comes to life, right, and you face situations where you kind of, you're, maybe you're just, you're, you're confused, you're, you're not sure what to do. What, so what do I do when I don't know what to do? What do I do when I don't know what to do in this situation? I'm going through something very difficult. I don't know what to do. Like, what am I supposed to do, God? This, this whole series, we're going to talk about that. God has given us some, some insight to say, hey, when you're facing things, this is what you need to do. Paul has given us insight saying, when you face these things, this is what you need to do. In fact, in Ephesians, as he ends the chapter 6 is the end of that book, and as he writes this book and he finishes it up, his final statement, this is what he says. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. As the enemy begins to scheme to try to mess you up, be strong in the Lord. He points back to God. He says, hey, just remember, when you don't know what to do, when you're facing opposition, when you're facing something that's very difficult, what you need to do is, is go back to, to what God is asking you. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things that we worry about will be taken care of. The things that we face, if you'll seek God, if you'll seek the kingdom of God, him first, he'll take care of of all the other things. So Paul is telling us, what you need to do is you need to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And the whole book of Ephesians, if you read through it, really what he's hinting at is when you accept Christ, you actually become a part of the family of God, right? So um, you, you inherit everything that God has for you. You have unlimited resources at your disposal. But just because they're there doesn't mean that we know how to use them or we're ready to use them, but they're available. All of the resources... Um, in fact, Jesus told his disciples, so if we look at the story of Jesus and all the miracles that he did, um, he tells the disciples at one port, point, all these things that I've done, you'll do even greater things. Why does he say that? Because he knows that, that we have the same access to God and to the power that he had, and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead actually lives in us. And we can actually do the same things he can if we'll learn to tap into that and begin to believe him for it and begin to walk in that truth. We can do it. He says, I believe more. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? Here's what I would say. Here's the first step, all right? The greatest thing that you can do when you don't know what to do is just trust and obey God. Just trust God and obey. Trust that, you can, that, that he sees something that you don't see, and he'll help you figure it out. When you're navigating marriage, when you're navigating kids, when you're navigating your finances or the job, and you don't know what's coming, can I tell you something? He does. He knows what's going to happen in September. He knows what's going to happen in October. He knows what's going to happen next year. And if you'll be open to say, God, lead me on this journey, he'll help you get in a place uh, that, that you'll be ready for those things that come if you trust and you obey him. See, the test is in the little things. We expect the test to be in the big things, but it's always first in the little things. On those, those little moments when you wake up and your first decision is, what do I do first? Do I seek God first or I do, do I begin to worry about the things that that I that try to th- control things I can't control. What am I going to do first? And it's those little things that always help us to, to experience the greater things that God has in our lives. It always starts there. 
In fact, there's this great story in Second uh, Kings. And in Second Kings, um, there is a, 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 a king that has his commander of his army begets leprosy. His name is Naaman. Um, and in Second Kings, I think it's in, in chapter 5, he says uh, that the, the, this Naaman has a servant who tells him about uh, this prophet in Israel, right? So Naaman uh, lives in a different nation, um, and, and his servant says there's a prophet in, in, in Israel um, that, that is used by God to, to heal people and to do great things. And she, and she tells him some stories. So uh, word gets to the king that there's a prophet there. And so the king sends Naaman with all of this silver and all of this gold uh, to the king of Israel and says, here's my servant, heal him. And the Bible says the king opens the letter, opens the, the, the letter that the, the other king sent, says, here's my servant, heal him. And the king of Israel begins to tear his clothes. He's like, who does this king think I am? Like, God, like, I can't heal this person. And so the king starts freaking out because he thinks, like, this is a test from that king because I'm not going to be able to heal his, his commander his, of his army. Like, I can't heal leprosy. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so the king starts freaking out, thinking, you know, he's going to come attack me because I can't do this, and it's unfair. And, and the prophet uh, Elisha, he hears, gets word of it, and he says, hey, tell Naaman. So he sends a message to, to, to Naaman and says, just go dip in the Jordan River uh, seven times and you'll be healed. And so uh, Naaman, who's a commander of armies, right, he's a little frustrated. Because he's like, surely at least I would have, the prophet would have met me here and told me what to do. Incredible story in the Bible. You got, you got to read it. And he says, um, that, that Naaman was so frustrated that he was about to go back home. He's like, we have seven other rivers that are greater in our nation. Why would I come dip in this river that's, that's muddy and dirty? It's like, I would rather go dip in mine. And it says, the servant says, sir, if the prophet would have asked you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? If he had asked you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? Maybe we should just try it. So great that there was a voice there to encourage that guy because he was about to leave. But you can understand, he's a, he's a commander of armies, right? He has a lot of authority and influence. And he's disappointed that, but here's the test. It was in the little things, not the great things. It was something very small. And it says that Naaman went and dipped in the river just like the prophet told him to. And he was cured and healed of leprosy. It was a miracle. And so then he comes back and he, he goes to Elisha and he wants to give him the silver and gold that he had brought with him. And Elisha says, no, no, this is of God. This is not of me. You can't pay me for this. And the prophet says, no, go your way, be blessed. And he sends him off. Um, and and in, in the stories of Jesus over and over, whenever God's going to do a miracle and, and answer somebody's prayer, it's so interesting. Not every single time. Sometimes he just prays and it happens and it's done. The miracle happens. But a lot of times, God actually asks them something first. A lot of times, a step to take, right? So one guy, he comes, some friends bring their, uh, their friend that's blind to Jesus, and it says Jesus spits in the ground, makes some mud, and puts it in his eyes and says, go wash in the river. So the miracles provided for is there, but the man has to go do something. There's some action that's required to it. There's a step of obedience that God is asking them to do. It's, it's as if God is, is saying, all right, um, I've, done, I've done something for you that will bring about breakthrough in your life. Now you need to do something that you believe that it's actually going to work. It's a step of trust, trusting God and obedience. In fact, obedience, we could say it like this. Obedience is faith in action. The reason he asks us to do things a lot of times is because it's, a, it's showing that we really believe. It's our faith that's in, it's in action. Um, and so many times God asks us to take that step of obedience before the prayer is answered, before the miracle happens. Just trust me, he's saying. I provided for it. It's there. But here's the step I want you to take. And we have to be like, name it, not get frustrated and be like, well, that's so hard, that's too difficult, or I don't like what he's asking. We just do it. God, I trust you. I'm going to follow and, and do what you asked. Here's an, 
another part of the story. So Naaman is obedient, and he, he listens to the prophet, and he gets his healing. Elisha has a servant named Gehazi. And Gehazi, he hears what Elisha says to, the, to Naaman and his people about the money. And Gehazi is a little greedy. He wants the money for himself. And so it says that after the people, after Naaman and his, 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 his um, group of people left, that Gehazi went and chased, him, chased them down. And he said, hey, um, by the way, my master changed his mind. Some, some prophets came in, some guests came in. He needs to take care of them. So you can give us some clothes and, and, and some money. And so uh, Naaman does. He responds, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased that your prophet heard from God and asked me to do something, the miracle to provide us. So here it is. Um, and so he gives Gehazi some money. Well, when he goes back, Elisha confronts Gehazi. God told Elisha what took place. And he says, hey, what's going on here? Um, why did you do that? Like, you're greed. You, you, you chose to do something that was disobedience to God. Why would you do that? And so Gehazi tries to explain it. And he says, because of your disobedience, you are now going to inherit what, what uh, Naaman just, just lost, leprosy. It's going to be upon your family. And at that point, Gehazi gets leprosy, and his family gets, gets leprosy. Um, so that's in chapter 5. In chapter 7, no, in chapter 8 of Second Kings, it says that Gehazi is in the presence of the king, telling about these great miracles that God has done. So, he, so Naaman's obedience brought healing. Gehazi's disobedience brought a curse upon his life, right? So in chapter 8, what is he doing with the king? Obviously, probably without leprosy, because you wouldn't be a leper in the king's presence. Why doesn't he have leprosy? Well, in chapter 7, there's this interesting story about these four lepers. God does this miracle. So if you don't read the Bible, you should read the Bible because these stories are incredible. And if you begin to say, God, what do these stories mean? He'll actually begin to point out in your life what those mean. He might say, hey, don't be Gehazi, right? This week, don't be Gehazi. Don't go for the, the greed, greedy move. Man, be naming. Be obedient. Do something with it. So in the story, it says that there's these four lepers. God does this miracle. The people, there's a, a foreign army comes out and camps outside of Israel. Of Israel. And they're going to take them over and, and, and kill them. And they're camped out to try to cut off the supplies. So eventually Israel surrenders and they go in and they take over their, their city. Well, God does this miracle overnight. And, he, and he, he causes a sound of an army to come um, above this camp. And, and the foreign army actually flees out of fright and they leave everything behind because they don't want to die. Because they hear the army, the Lord's armies, right? So they, hear the, they have a, a peek into the unseen of the spiritual army that's there. And it scares this, this, this army away. Well, it says these four lepers were starving and about to die. Nobody cares for them. And so they wander out and says, well, let's go to, the, let's go to them because at least maybe they'll feed us. And if not, they'll kill us. And at least we're dead and that's, it's over. And it says they go out to the camp. And as they go out there, they find that it's abandoned and there's nobody there. And they begin to wander through and they begin to actually take all the riches of this army. And they eat, their, to their, they eat the food and they're, they're satisfying their, their hunger. They go and they bury some of the treasure. And then in the middle of it, they say that they have this moment where they say, wait, and one day we'll do, part of our, we'll do a series on this story because it's so incredible. But they say, um, it's not right for us to take all of this for ourselves and not share it with our brothers and our sisters. So it says that they actually go back and they begin to share with the, with the other people and say, hey, come on out. There's provision. God has provided a miracle. And it says that these four lepers were healed of their leprosy. So it's quite possible that this was Gehazi. And in the moment where he says, you know, last time I chose to do what was wrong and I got a curse upon my life, this time I'm going to choose to do what's right and the curse in his life was actually broken. Obedience changes things. So there's, there's things that God has for you and there's a word of God that can change everything in your life if you'll learn just to say, God, what is the thing you're asking me to do? 
And sometimes it's a very difficult step. Other times it's a very simple step. Like he just says, hey, before you go to work, would you mind just praying and seeking me for a few minutes? Just try that this week. Like maybe before you drive out of your parking lot, just stay in your car and pray for your family. Pray for, pray for my will to be done in your life. Maybe the step is, hey, those things you've been doing, those habits that are part of your life, you need to cut them out. And that step of obedience will actually begin to change things in your life that you would, you would never imagine it would do something in your life like that. And God is just saying, when you don't know what to do and you're trying to figure out what's going on, would you just trust and obey? Would you just seek me? You know, for the next uh, 21 days, starting today, would you join me and the church for, in praying for our church, um, praying for your family, praying for our city? Would you join us in praying for this next season of, of our church? You know, we're believing to see more people this next year come to Christ than we've ever seen before. Would you believe that with us? Would you pray for that to happen? See, Bible says that there's a great harvest in our world. A lot of people, and, and Paul talks about it, right? Their minds are blinded to the things of God. And God is saying, who, who are those people that would be in to pray that, those, that, that whatever's blinding them would be removed, that veil would be uncovered, where they begin to say, oh, wow, there's something else going on here. And they'd be waking up to it. What would it look like in our city, in our nation, if people would begin to have their minds opened again and, and they can actually see? Paul actually says it's, it's seen not just with your mind, but with your heart. What would that look like if our neighbors and those in our city begin to find him? Well, let's pray for that and let's believe for it. Every single Sunday we pray, God, would you send somebody this week that's far from you, that doesn't know you, so they can come part of your family? And God answers our prayer every single week. In fact, that might be you to hear today. And the reason you're here is because God is saying, I have good plans for your life. And if you'll just turn to me and you'll obey, obey my commands, if you'll learn to follow my, my instructions, like I'll bless your life, I'll help you so much. And my prayer is that today you'll have that moment where you actually invite God to lead you in this life. So 21 days of prayer. Uh, we do this two times a year. I would encourage you to just, just pray with us. If you don't know what else to pray for, would you pray for me? Would you pray for the team? Would you pray that I'll be able to do this effectively? Because what we do up here matters. What our, what our team does every single week, it matters. Um, my family is a byproduct of, of a church plant, of somebody saying, I'm going to go into a city and start a new, a new work, a new ministry. Um, and, and because uh, somebody stepped out and did that, my family came to Christ. That blind, those blinders were removed from their eyes. And, and the path of destruction they were on was changed to a path that was of life that was completely different. And I'm so grateful for that. And every single Sunday we do that to create uh, an environment and a place where God can begin to touch people's lives and hearts. So here's my challenge for today, all right? My challenge is this. Um, when you don't know what to do, would you trust and would you obey? In fact, here's a simple way. We say, well, that's great. How do I trust and obey? Well, you have to know what God's asking you first, right? What is God saying? Well, there, there's, there's um, what we talk, when we say, what do you know what God is saying? It's a conversation with God, right? We call it prayer. Uh, well, conversations are two ways. It's talking, but it's also listening. One of the ways that we hear God speak to us, one way is this today. God uses other people to say something that will help us on this journey. And this is why it's important for you to pray for me, because you want me to be able to hear God's voice to be able to say, hey, here's what God is saying to you and to those that, that come. So God uses other people, but he also uses his word, which is the Bible, right? So as you read the Bible, you begin to see the, the principles of, like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, just love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like, huh, okay, that's a good command. I'm going to try to love others the same way I love myself. What does that look like? Well, I treat them the same way I would want them to treat, to treat me. I'm going to do for them what I, I wish they would do for me or do for others. 
And we begin to say, God, what do your words say here? What do you want me to do? Well, you shouldn't have an affair on your wife. That would be a good starting point, right? So there's a command there saying, love your, love your wife. Like, honor her. Honor your husband. Kids, honor your, your parents. And there's promises that come with it, right? And so as you begin to say, God, what are you speaking to me? You begin to hear, and then you say, I'm going to trust you in this. I'm going to obey what you're asking me to do. Um, in fact, I would encourage you to do this. For this whole series, as we go through the series of what, through August, what to do, when you don't know what to do, here's what you can do with me. There are six chapters in the book of Ephesians. So the book of Ephesians is towards the middle of the New Testament, towards the end of the Bible. And there are six chapters. So what if on Monday we read chapter 1, and on Tuesday we read chapter 2, and on Thursday we read chapter 3, or Wednesday 3, Thursday 4, up till Saturday on the 6th, right? So the first week you just you read all six chapters. And in that, you just ask one simple question. God, what in here are you, are you challenging me to do? What are you asking me to trust you in? And then how can I be obedient in that one? And as you read that chapter, that's the only question you have to answer for that day. God, what are you speaking to me? And then what I need to do with this? And you trust God. And I, I'm going to trust and believe with you that God's going to begin to help us see what we need to do. And as you read that first chapter, just be open to what God says. And then the next week, we'll do the exact same thing. I'll encourage you next week to do the same thing. On Monday, read the first. On Tuesday, read the second. If we did this throughout the month, we would read the book of Ephesians uh, four times. right? And every time, I guarantee you, you'll get something different out of it every single time. So you'll read the same chapter this Monday that you'll read next Monday, but there'll be something different that God will point out to you. Because this is, the Bible's alive. And in fact, it's not the book you read. It's actually the book that reads you. It's the book that speaks to you. It's the book that helps you know what to do. And so begin to, 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 to do that. So that's my challenge. Trust and obey. How do you know it's what trust and obey? You read God's word. You listen to his spirit. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his spirit. He speaks through other people. Mainly believers, but sometimes he'll even use animals and unbelievers to get our attention, the Bible says. All right? So um, let's, let's pray. And before we pray, um, I want to just um, um, read one more scripture. So Ephesians, and you'll read this tomorrow. Um, he, Paul says two prayers for the people of Ephesus. And it's my same prayer for you. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he calls. I pray that your hearts would be flooded with his light so you can understand the confident hope. You want to know the hope I have? It comes from God. I want you to understand that same hope he's given to those who are called and the rich and glorious inheritance he has given to his holy people. If you're a Christ follower, he's given you a rich and he's given you a glorious inheritance. If you're part of the family of God, he has some resources for you. He wants us to understand that. And then Paul says another prayer. But here, here's the, the, the point of the scripture is there's some people in this room that your hearts are not flooded with light. And you, have, you don't have a confident hope that God gives. In fact, maybe you have a little more fear than anything. And, and, and you need the hope that God has for you. So today I want to give you an opportunity if you're here today. And you want that hope? I would love to lead in your prayer that says, God, help me to open my life to you. God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my, my choices that have led me away from you. Would you open my mind? Let, not, let not be blinded anymore. But I can see your, what you're doing. Do me a favor. Would you close your eyes and bow your head as we close in prayer? If you're here today and that's you, you'd say, man, I need my life to be flooded with light. I need God in my life. I can't do life without him. God, would you forgive me of my sins? It's a prayer relationship that I want to lead you in. I'm not going to call you to the front, but right there in your seat. And so if you'd love to pray this prayer with me, would you do me a favor and just lift your hand so I can see that you're here? Say, that's me. I need God. I need my life to be flooded with light. Awesome. See your hands. Great. Anybody else? For you that raised your hand, 
would you uh, let me lead you in a prayer? Just repeat after me. And if you're a Christ follower in this room, would you pray with us so they're not praying alone? Say this with me. Say this today. Say, Father God, today I acknowledge that I need you. Come into my life. Give me a new start. Forgive me of my sins, of my past. Help me to see what I can't see, what you see. Lead me. I put my trust in you. I want to obey you. Be my Lord. Be my God. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on that cross so I can have a new life, so I can be part of your family. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate those that raised their hand. So good.